0: Down in uh, in Argentina is uh, Peter. Where am I here? At one point, Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle. Rather, it's harder for a camel to go through an eye of the needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. And it says the the disciples were shocked. And they said, Well, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And then Peter said, We've left all for you, and we followed you. What do we get? Instead of telling him, come on, what do you expect? This is what you're supposed to do. What do you mean, what do you'll get? Jesus answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospel who does not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And I call that the truest verse in the Bible. You know, God has given me brothers and sisters, mothers, and fathers all over the world. All over the world. It's worth leaving everything, folks, everything to follow Jesus. And just uh, the, the, the fact that I've, you know, I've, uh, I'm a little older now and I can go to so many places in the world and, and find people who are mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. It is just so wonderful. It's so sweet. Uh, but we, um, now that COVID's over, we are going to be getting missions back into a regular cycle so you can be praying about next year. We have very we have mothers, brothers, sisters, kids, in Argentina, Peru, Venezuela, China, Brazil. We have to pray where we're going to go, because there's many people who would love to have us, but there's only so many places we can go. But you can. Uh, we had a wonderful time in Argentina, and uh, Freddie and I went to to Peru. I had the I had the privilege of. Speaking at an ordination service, Pastor Brian. Many of you know him. He is stepping down from being the pastor in Lima, and I uh, preached the sermon of the the person who is uh, became a pastor there. And it was a wonderful privilege for me. You know, this man I shared about it on 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 Tuesday night. He came to the church in 2001, and he was at the church for for three years. I'm talking about the man who is now the pastor of the church, whose ordination uh, service. An ordination service is a service that you make someone the senior pastor. And uh, he was at the church for three years, and then he left for 16 years and did a lot of terrible things in 16 years. But then he came back in 2017, just broken, ready to just give it all up. All the all the all the lies that he had been sucking up and living on, and becoming leeches of his life. And he just started to learn, to live for Jesus. And now he's a senior pastor. This is what um, this is what the Lord does. He's filled with mercy. We don't write these stories. But God does. And God is writing a story in your life. I uh, do encourage you, if you haven't already, to go out and see that movie. I know Eric talked about it last week, but the Jesus Revolution. Jesus Revolution is a movie that's out in theaters right now. It is about the birth of Calvary Chapel. So uh, it uh, would be great for you to go out and see it. It was born out of... Revival, but you know, um, I four Sundays ago was the last time I was here, and I quoted a verse. It's from Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven, and the verse is, "God loves a cheerful giver." And then I said, "What's up with that?" I thought that God loves everyone, and then an alarm went off. An alarm went off, and a a voice went over the loudspeaker, and we had to stop the service. And so, guess what I'm going to do today? I'm continuing that sermon. And, uh, you know, I um, was thinking, on our website, there's about 1,200 sermons, 1,200 sermons on our website that I have given in uh, the last 20 years, there's about three or 400 that are not on there. And uh, before a few weeks ago, that tw- that 15, those 1,500 sermons, there was one, one sermon on financial giving. And uh, I just went from year to year to year just being a coward, not wanting to be seen as a charlatan trying to steal your money. And I've done a lot of repenting since then. And God woke me up uh, because we signed a contract to rent this room over there because we have about 30 or 40 kids in Sunday school. That's not including youth group and nursery showing up every week. Nursery, we get about 10 to 15. And uh, we signed that contract in the way the offerings were last year. We're not going to be able to pay it for the next, for, for the next contract um, unless giving goes up. So God, God woke me up about just how much I was ripping you off. And even this morning as I was praying, I was like, Lord, all those people I ripped off for 20 years because I was a chicken. I was willing to speak about any hard subject there is. You know, gender identity, homosexuality, abortion. Just, you know, we've had people leave the church over these issues when I preach about them. God loves us, and he's very honest with us about these issues. He's also honest about giving. If you don't give to the Lord your first fruits, you will grow cold in your faith. So I want to continue, and I want to talk um, I want to go back to Malachi 3. It's the last, last book of the, of the Old Testament. If you would rise for the reason of God's Word, if you would like a Bible, please raise your hand. Anyone need a Bible in Spanish or in English? Anyone need a Bible Spanish or English? The last book of the Bible, the book of Malachi, chapter 3, I'm going to try to make it through most of this chapter today. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says this, it says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare a way Before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would make your son, Jesus Christ, front and center, in full view. Lord Jesus, we want to walk out of this message today loving you. Loving you, Lord. Loving you with all our hearts, our minds, our soul, our strength. We want to love you, Lord. You made us for this reason. God, you made us, you created us for this very purpose to love you. We don't want to walk out of here doing anything less than loving you, Lord. So, Jesus, please, by the Holy Spirit, we want that encounter with you, and we pray for that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. Now, I don't know how many of you know this, but Jesus Christ and prophecies of him are made throughout the Old Testament The last book of the Old Testament, which we're reading today, was written 400 years before Jesus came. The book of Malachi, last book of uh, of the Old Testament. And there are specific verses that specifically mention Jesus. And there's no question at all that they're talking about Jesus. Verse 1 of Malachi is one of them of Malachi chapter three. So read along with me. It says, God says this. Now some of you have an asterisk in your Bible by verse one and that's the reason for that is it's because it's a verse that's talking about Jesus Christ before he's even born. When Jesus came, they were expecting him. There was messianic fervor, meaning the people in Israel like, where's the Messiah? Where's the Messiah? Where is he? Part of it was this verse. Again, at the very beginning of the verse, it says, behold, I send a messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Now go to Mark chapter one, go to your right to Mark chapter one. The New Testament is Matthew, Mark Luke, and John. Go to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says this. The beginning of the gospel, that word gospel means good news, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Does anyone recognize that? Does anyone, does everyone recognize that? Is there someone who doesn't recognize it? We just read it in Malachi 3.1. Malachi three verse one says, it begins, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. M- the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 2, exact same verse. Befo- Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord makes make his path straight who is that verse talking about it's talking about John the Baptist verse four of mark uh, of mark 1 says John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sin and then all of the land of Judea and the, and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, and he preached, saying, there comes one after me, who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose, I indeed baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So here we have, and go back to Malachi now, Malachi 3.1. There's this verse. Behold, I will send my messenger. Who's the messenger? It's John the Baptist. He will prepare the way before me. Who's me? The me is Jesus Christ. Then it says this, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That is speaking of Jesus Christ. It's speaking of Jesus Christ when when Jesus is going to come into his temple. It says, even the messenger of the covenant. Last week, you heard from Pastor Eric about the new covenant. Who is the messenger of the new covenant? It was Jesus Christ. What is the new covenant about? It's the covenant of the Holy Spirit. We now have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. There's no longer a temple before which we give animal sacrifices. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple is inside of us. Jesus was the messenger of that covenant. Then continue on in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Malachi. It says, The messenger in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming says the lord of hosts this is speaking of jesus christ every jew living in palestine in the year zero (laughs) knew about this verse and for that reason they were waiting on the messiah they were longing um, for the messiah again it says the lord whom you seek he's suddenly going to come into the temple even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Um, Another translation says, in whom you desire. People desire Jesus Christ. The world desires Jesus Christ. The world is longing for Jesus Christ. The world is longing for something better. Out there is garbage. And people know it. They're desiring, they're longing for Jesus and that's what was happening 2,000 years ago, just as it is happening today. People are living in, in, in garbage. They don't realize it. They're longing for something else. It's up to you and me to tell them about that someone else. But they're longing for it. They're desiring it. And it says, this, this Jesus Christ, this Messiah whom you seek, he's going to suddenly come into the temple. He's just going to go in he, he's gonna, and everyone's going to be going, wow, he's here. It says, verse 2 of Malachi 3, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver How is silver um, uh, purified? Fire. Jesus Christ, it says, he's going to come like a refiner's fire. It says, verse 3 again, continuing, He will purify the sons of Levi, purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness. He's going to purge them as gold and silver. As you know, gold, silver, which is mine, it has impurities. It needs to go through fire to become an offering that God desires. And that is what happens to you, and it's what happens to me. And it's what happened 2,000 years ago. It's it, it, Notice, notice in, in Malachi again, it says suddenly this Messiah, this Savior, whom you desire, whom you seek, it says suddenly he's gonna come into the temple. And that is exactly what happened in John chapter two. Don't have to go there, but no one knows about Jesus in John chapter two. No one knows about him yet. But he bursts into the temple in John chapter two during the Passover. Verse 14 says he found the temple And those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business, he made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables, and he said to those who sold doves, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of of merchandise sound familiar i hope so malachi chapter 3 verse 2 and 3 again he's going to suddenly come into the temple and verse 2 says who can endure the day of his coming he who can stand when he appears he's like a refiner's fire no one stopped jesus he just came in and he did business in the temple He was like, uh, it says he was like a refiner's fire um, and he purged them as gold and silver. That is what he does. That is what Jesus Christ does. He comes in and, and at the end of verse three, it says, so that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Verse four, it says, then... Meaning after Jesus comes, the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord. The offering of Judah and Jerusalem, it says there in verse 4 of Malachi 3, will be pleasant to the Lord. Um, that is a Hebrew word there. It's the Hebrew word Arab. It's usually translated sweet, sweet. Can we have that, Dave? It's a, really, the translation should be this: Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be sweet to the Lord. Now, the last time we were in this cha- these chapters, Malachi, it was a few weeks ago, we found in chapter one that the offering to the Lord, wasn't sweet, it made the Lord gag. It made him vomit. It, it, it disgusted him. So turn back to chapter one briefly um, where we were. Uh, a, a, a couple, uh, actually it was four weeks ago. Malachi 1 verse six says this. He's speaking now, the prophet Malachi says, a son honors his father a servant, his master. If then I am the father, this is God speaking, where's my honor? If I am a master, where's my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? Verse seven, this is God speaking, because you offer defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. The table of the Lord is contemptible, meaning um, it's despised. It's, uh, It's It's not something that they were interested in giving. It's uh, the table of the Lord. It's like, give to God's house. Give to God's people. Give to God. The table of the Lord is despised. You despise it. Where's my honor, God is saying. And then he goes on to say in verse eight, and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? They were required to offer lambs as sin offerings and peace offerings. But they would bring their worst they would bring the lambs that had their eyes plucked out, that had mange that, um, on them, that were diseased. It says again in verse 8, when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would, he be, would, it, would, would the mayor the president of the United States, if they came to your house, would you give them what you're giving me? Look what you're giving me, Israel. So then again, let's turn back to chapter three. It, it, it says, when Jesus Christ comes, verse one again, it says, uh, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, in whom you desire, in whom you long for. Verse two, who's gonna endure the day of his coming? He, he will refine you as a purifier of silver and purge you as gold. And, and it says in verse four, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be sweet. It will be pleasant. Can we have the translation again? Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be sweet to the Lord. And so that's where we left off four weeks ago. Then the alarm went off. Can we have, when the alarm went off, we were in this verse right here. Can I have the next verse, Dave? Whoa, keep on going? Keep on going. (laughs) There we go. What is a sweet offering to the Lord? When, When it says Jesus is gonna come, It says no one's going to be able to withstand the day of his coming. He's going to purge you as gold to silver that uh, that you may offer an offering of righteousness, one that's actually sweet to the Lord. What is an offering that's sweet to the Lord? What is an offering that's sweet to the Lord? It's one made cheerfully. It's one made with a heart that says, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, I love you, God. And that's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And if you look at that word cheerful, if you've never heard this before, do a Greek study of it. It's the word hilaros, from which we get hilarious. So the translation could be, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a hilarious giver. That's what's sweet to the Lord. That is what is pleasant to the Lord. He doesn't want your pocket change. He wants your f- first fruits. He wants the best of what you have. And, 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 and so, again, where we left off uh, 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 last week, where we left does everyone know what the word hilarious means? So, I, I, Does everyone know what the word hilarious means? Everyone? So, so it says God loves a hilarious giver. Hilarious means Someone who is laughing. Someone who is, 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 wow, this, the word hilarious is if you watch a super funny movie and it's like, this is hilarious. So hilarious givers like, yes, Lord, yes, take my money. Take my stuff, take it, I love you. That is a sweet offering to the Lord. God loves a cheerful giver. And what do we say? That I thought God loved everybody. Doesn't God love Everybody. Yes, he does love everybody. But in the Bible, love and joy, those things are combined. God may love you, but he may not be rejoicing in you. He may not be taking pleasure in you. He may not be taking pleasure in what you do with your money. That's what these verses are about. The Bible says in Psalm 108. Uh, Psalm 104 verse 31 let the lord rejoice in his works. Jesus Christ wants to do in you, he wants to purge you. He wants to purge you from living according to that American dream in which which corrupts the offering of the lord. And and makes the offering repulsive. He wants to rejoice in your work. He wants to rejoice um, in your offering. And so um, he he wants to make a a sweet sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, uh, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing, meaning sweet to God, this is your proper worship. I, 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 I tell you, Calvary Chapel, because I no longer want to rip you off. There are those here sitting here. What's making your the offering of your life not not pleasing to the Lord, not sweet to the Lord, not an offering that rejoices? It's because it's been polluted. By you hoarding your money and not giving to God the first fruits of what you earn. That it, it's polluting our money. But the good news is, is Jesus Christ has come. Who can endure the, the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He's like a refiner's fire. And after he comes, it says in verse 3: the offering of Judah in Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord it will be sweet to the Lord it will be sweet to him let's continue it says in verse 5 actually let's I don't want to run out of time let's go to verse 7 Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances, meaning my rules, and ye haven't kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? So this is God speaking to them. Yet you have robbed me. But yet you say, "In what way have we robbed you?" Verse eight: In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation bring all the tithes into the storehouse. So Leviticus chapter twenty-seven, verse thirty, says this: When when when. When God says to them, you've robbed me, what he's talking about is the tithe, meaning the first 10% that they made was was given to the Lord for the purpose of maintaining the temple, maintaining the workers of the temple, maintaining the ministry that God did. And, and, and it says in Leviticus 27:30, all the tithe of the land, meaning 10% of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It's holy. To the Lord meaning it's God's and when you take your tithe Calvary Chapel the first 10% of what you do and you spend it on something else you're robbing God you're stealing from God Almighty that's what the Bible says in, in, in America we um, listen to our financial planners man they're like the new gospel these guys uh, you know your financial planner says you have to give this much for retirement. You have to give this much for your kids. You have to give this much for your next house. And you, you're quick to obey. But man, when God says you have to give this much to Him, you disobey. That's called robbing God. And and I tell you, I never heard any of this until I was 24 years old. I've shared this with you before. When I first heard it, I was like I was shocked. You have got to be kidding me. This preacher is saying this. But I tell you, within a couple weeks, it just turned my life upside down and it freed me. It freed me because money will 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 imprison you. It really really will. And I, I also said this before, you, some of you are sitting here and you're like, I can't give 10% of my money. If I did, I wouldn't be able to pay my bills. There's no condemnation in that. You're no better than a person who's giving, you're no worse than a person or better than a person who's giving 40% of their money. There's grace, we're saved by grace, not by tithing, not by obeying the law. However, pray, Lord, that sounds incredible. <laughs> to be able to bless you with a heart filled with, um, just filled with joy, filled with a hilarious heart. Yeah, take it, Lord. There are some of you though, your, your, your expense ledger has stuff in it that is preventing you from tithing. Your car's too expensive. Your rent is too expensive. You be, you, you, even here in Boston, you may be able to downgrade. There is such a thing, you know, as downgrading your life in order so you can just pour out lavishly on God. I'll give you, uh, you know, I, 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 I've seen so many wonderful, full testimonies of that. And um, just what, what happens in a person's life um, when they do that. Again, let's go back to verse 10. Verse 10 says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. Meaning, so that ministry can operate. And try me now in this. Meaning, test me. Try me now. You test me. You're, you're fearful of, of of what may happen if you obey the Lord and you give a tithe? Well, test me. Try me is what he's saying there. Try me in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it now I could line up a a line right here of people who by faith obeyed these verses began to tithe or to work towards it maybe you can only do one percent it's as good as a hundred percent if that's all you can do but they began to do it sacrificially Giving must hurt Calvary Chapel. If it was up to us, people say, "No, we don't believe the tithe anymore." Yeah, if it's up to us, it's one percent. It's less than one percent. God give us the tithe as a blessing to us. But I could line up the testimonies of people. They began to tithe, giving sacrificially, giving up this, downgrading that, so they can give lavishly to God. And how God poured out just like it says in verse 10 see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not even be room enough to receive it there's some in this room who know exactly what I'm talking about and I will verse 11 says and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake So that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So it says again in verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. What is that talking about? Well, what happened, they were dis- disobeying God in the area of giving, and so God just removed his protection from them, and famine came along in the land, and and all of a sudden, they, they, they weren't pulling in the crops that they used to. They weren't uh, they 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 weren't uh, making money the way they used to. God had w- withdrew His protection from them, and this and, and, and the Lord will will do this to you. Uh, Dave, can we have um, can we have uh, ver, uh, the Haggai Haggai chapter one in the book of Haggai? It says this. It says, you have sown much, but you bring in little, meaning you've been working your behinds off, and you're not, and, 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 and you're not making any money because there's, your money's going everywhere uh, except where it should be. It says, you eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drinks. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm, and he who earns wages earns wages to put it into a bag with holes, meaning you're making all kinds of money, but then all kinds of stuff starts happening in your life where your money is like disappearing. I remember my own testimony about this. We have an apartment underneath our house, and for years, we've given at least a tithe of that money, 10%. Um, we we give it away to the Lord, to missions or or, or to the Lord. Well, I remember about when when my kids were tweens, they're all old now, uh, not but you know they're in their twenties. But um, when they were tweens, it was like you know, what a uh, six to seventeen. For whatever reason, we stopped giving ten percent of what we got in from downstairs, and and I I, I kid you not, within a two week span, our oven broke our refrigerator broke, our washing machine broke, our dishwasher broke, and our car broke, and my daughter, Elise, 10 years old, comes into the kitchen, she goes, what's going on? She goes, what is happening? Our whole house is falling apart. No lie. That I think it was the same day I was walking through a room on the bottom floor, and my foot went through the floor, through the tile, down into and it was falling apart. And, and then I realized what was going on. Stephanie, we need to start tithing that apartment income, please, before our whole house falls apart. That's what this is talking about. It says last last um, part of Hag- Haggai. And then the last part of Haggai chapter 1 verse 6 says you earn wages to put into a bag with holes. That's what it means. God will start poking holes in your bank account and your money will be going to all kinds of crazy places. And again, the next verse in in Haggai, Dave, it says in verse 9 and 10 you looked for much but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. It's talking about their money. Why, says the Lord's of hosts, because of my house. It is in ruins. While every one of you runs to his own house, therefore the heavens above withhold their dew, and the earth withhold its fruit. God will withhold from you. He will devour from you. He will let the devourer devour your bank account if you're being unfaithful in this area. He will do that. He, 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 He will burn every bridge in your life. He'll burn every bridge in your life except the bridge that leads to him. If you're taking notes, please write that down. And a lot of those bridges involve money. He'll burn them all up until you, except when there's only one bridge left, and you're going, "Okay, God, I give up. I, 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 I am. I'm giving over it all to you. I'm, I'm not. I'm going to stop robbing from you." There's a real interesting story, and, and so the answer is: Why does God? Why does God? Why would He poke holes in our pockets, in our bank accounts? Why would He let actual famine? come into our life in all that misery why is that and the reason is again because he loves you because he loves you because i'm telling you you were created by god god is love he created you to love him money will harden and freeze up your heart like nothing else Consider this story from the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10, very familiar story. It says that um, Jesus uh, looked at the rich young ruler and notice it says he loved him. He loved him. He loved him. We just got over the, uh, we concluded the book of Mark. This, is, this story is in three other gospels. Only in Mark it says Jesus loved him and says you lack one thing. Remember, you remember what preceded this, right? This guy runs up to Jesus. He runs and he gets down on his face, this rich, young ruler. He's a young guy. And he says, what things must I um, do to in- in- inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, obey your father and mother. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. And he says, I've done all these things. But then Jesus says this. Says Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said, One thing you lack, just one thing, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, take up your cross, and follow me. And next verse, Dave. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, D- Dave, if we could turn back to the previous verse. I think, what's so imp- uh, uh, I think what's so important about this story is that Jesus was not telling this guy to get rid of his stuff because he was like a hard taskmaster, like because he wanted to make his life miserable, because he wanted to be mean he was telling him these things because he loved him. God, because God loves you, he wants you to obey him in the area of financial giving because it will prevent you from loving God. I want to tell you a story and, and I, 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 I've shared parts of it with some of you. I, I just, I don't like sharing this story. But, When I began work up here in Boston, um, after four or five years, the Lord started just, money started coming out of the sky. I couldn't believe how much money I was making. Now, that part I've shared with you already. What I didn't share with you is this. At one point, there was so much money in my bank account An extremely large amount. If someone had told me 10 years before that I would even make in a whole year that much money, I would have laughed at them. There's no way. The money was there for our kid's college. That's where it was going. The problem was, I began to get this feeling of death seeping out of that account into my life and the Lord's saying just give it all away my wife was not happy she didn't like that idea but I knew that uh, this money that was for my kids college I had to I had to give it, give it away. So we, we kept some in case I got fired or lost my job so we would be able to live for a little while and we gave it all away. It was a ton of money. But you know what? That was about 15 years ago. It's the best thing I could have ever done for my kids. It is, my kids were, have been so blessed Because of what I did, I can't even begin to describe you know, on, on Christmas Day, I've shared this with the senior leadership team. My kids were sitting around the table, and we, at, at Christmas, we, uh, on who, rather, on someone's birthday, it's, uh, we, we all go around the table and, and, and say what we appreciate about that person who's having a birthday. And so I said, let's do it about Jesus. And my kids, uh, all five of them, they went from one to the other to the other, to the other. And all of them told, shared what, was, what they appreciated about Jesus Christ, and every one of them went deep. Every single one of them. It wasn't like, well, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Next person, please. No, everyone had a story and they went deep. And I tell you, I, 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 as far as I'm concerned, I told the Lord, I'm ready to go. You can take me. I, I, my life, I don't need to live anymore. It's done. My work's done. My kids have been so blessed by me emptying out that bank account or just leaving enough to survive. And you, people say, Steve, you're, this is like the sacred cow. Your kids' college education? You're telling people to give it away? I'm not telling you to do whatever. God may want you to, 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 to keep it. Our kids have been able to get through college, we've helped them. It's been a real struggle for us. But that sacred cow needs to be slashed, it needs to be cut down. It's a big, fat lie. Your kids need to see you giving responsible to Jesus Christ and his church and his ministry all around the world. That's what kids need. Kids don't need more money. They need more Jesus. They need your example of living for Jesus Christ. Oh, how we've been lied to. So this Jesus looked at this guy. He loved him and said, "Sell whatever you have, give it to the poor." By the way, he didn't tell that to the apostle Peter. Peter had a house. And does anyone remember on the cross, when in the book of John, when uh, Jesus uh, gave his mother her care over to John, where he told John to take her, or where it says John took her, his house. He doesn't ask everyone to give everything away. But he'll ask you to give everything away if that's an idol in your life and it's preventing you from living for him. And so in this book called Radical, which I've been quoting, it should be normal because it's a description of the normal, what God says is the normal Christian life. And it's called Radical. And it says, taking back your faith from the American dream. Calvary Chapel, you have been lied to. The American dream is a big fat lie. It's not not a dream. It's a lie. Save up and whoever gets the most toys in the end wins or your retirement is going to be your dream place, whatever. Uh, That's a big fat lie. And, 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 And one of the things that he says in here, and I love, and he's talking about this story where Jesus tells this guy, give... Give everything you have over to the poor and then come and follow me. And, and, he, and, and it says that he did it while loving him. But this is what he says. This is David Platt. I think we have someone from David Platt's church today actually uh, down, in, um, uh, down in, uh, in Virginia. It says the reality is most of us in our culture and in America simply don't believe Jesus. We just don't believe him. Now listen, we just don't believe that our wealth can be a barrier, a block to entering the kingdom of God. We don't believe that. We are fine with thinking of affluence, comfort, and material possession as blessings, but they can't be barriers, barriers to the kingdom of God. We think the way the world thinks. That wealth is always to our advantage. Jesus says the exact opposite. He is saying that wealth can be a dangerous obstacle. It can even keep someone out of the kingdom of God. It says, try me now in this matter, verse 10, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Let me conclude with this. I ask you if the worship team could come up. We're going to have communion. I, I love the rest of Malachi. I think I said a few weeks ago, I love teaching this book. It's so easy to teach because it's just so in your face and obvious. Um, but I just love verse 16. If the worship team could come up. At this time, it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. It says, The Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Meaning, the Lord, like, overheard these people talking about the Lord. The Lord overheard them talking about the Lord and, and, and his goodness and, and his grace. But it all says they feared the Lord, meaning they realized, I need to obey the Lord. or There's going to be serious consequences. They feared the Lord. And it says the Lord listened, so a book of remembrance was written before him. For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Their names got written in this book. It is a strange verse. Their names got written in a book. It's strange only because I, I don't know that there's too many other places like something like this. But God notices he notices your love for him. He knows, he sees when you, when, when you give to him. He, 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 when you guys are out in the food court and, and you're talking about the word of God, he hears it. He does. And it says, he may be even making another book and writing in your name. And then it says in verse 17, it says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. The Bible says that when you reach the point in your life That you say, I'm done with the American dream. I'm done being God to myself. Uh, I'm done playing God in my own life. I'm done making my own decisions. I believe I'm a sinner. I believe my sins been really bad. I believe I, as I look back at my life, I realize I deserve, deserve death and, and hell. But Jesus Christ... I believe that God so loved me, he sent his son for me to live a perfect life that he may give credit me that perfection for heaven that he died in my place on the cross where I should have died for everything that I've done. He died for me and on the third day, he rose from the dead. It says, and the Bible says that if you believe that, if you trust in that and you say, Jesus, now please come into my life. The Bible says he makes you a jewel, a jewel. You are now his jewel. You are now his child. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, um, to those who believe him, who receive him, he gives them the right to be children of God. And it's only... You're only a child of God. You're only made a jewel. You were made to be a jewel, but it's your choice of whether to become God's jewel. And you become God's jewel jewel by trusting in what happened on the cross. That blood came off, poured out of the Son of God for you. We're gonna have communion now. If you've been asked to pray, if you could come up, Communion is so important. Even after, even in a sermon like this, where I've talked today about some really hard things, the bottom line is you're not saved. You can, you can give your entire paycheck for the rest of your life, but that's not going to get you into heaven. There's only one thing that's going to get you into heaven. That is putting your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ gave um, to you he paid it all speaking of all paychecks he gave it he gave everything he paid everything so that you would have to pay zero nothing in order to get saved in order to um, be saved from the wrath and the judgment of God that you deserve that I deserve but communion's really important because we forget why did Jesus have us do communion we're supposed to be doing communion on a regular basis By the way, we're going to have a Good Friday service right before Easter. We're also going to have an Easter Sunday sunrise service. But we forget. We remember it's the blood of Jesus that saved us and then we walk out the door and within two days, we're again trying to be good enough to pray. We're trying to be good enough for God to accept us. There's only one reason we're ever accepted and that's by the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice. Something is stirred in your heart during the message today. That you think it's that you like to pray about before you have communion with us today? Come up and pray with us. Solomon, can I have a a, a communion element? If you have never in your life made Jesus Christ your Lord, if you've never asked Him in, maybe you've been just stirred by the message and realized. You spend a lot of money on a lot of stupid stuff. I've spent thousands of dollars on really stupid stuff that I've had to repent for. Some of it wicked stuff. And you just like to come up, you know, there's complete, God doesn't want you in any shame or embarrassment or guilt about any of that. What he does want you to do is thank him that the blood of Jesus cleanses you from that. Just anything that has stirred your heart? Come up and pray. Once you rise, we're going to sing a communion song now. And at the end of the, the end of the song we'll, we'll have communion together. but in the meantime, it's worship and if you if there's anything in the way of you having communion as well. Just come up and pray at this time. It's a time of prayer.